Good morning. My name is Casey Calhoun, and I'm the ministry assistant here at Christ Community. And we want to welcome you to our church here at the Brookside campus. We are so glad that you're able to be here with us today. First, I want to remind you that our staff takes time each week to lift up our church family in prayer. So we invite you to take a moment and fill out the prayer card so that we know specifically how to pray and support you. You'll find these cards in the back of each pew, and you can drop your completed card into one of the two touch-free offering boxes. These boxes are located through the doors on either side of the stage where we all will exit after church. Next, we have lots of ways to connect and serve here at Christ Community. You can find all of our events in our weekly email and on our website. But this morning, I'd like to tell you about a few upcoming events. First, our Christmas Eve registration is now open to allow you and your family to start your Christmas Eve planning. In-person services will be held at 3.30, 5, and 9 p.m. Are you planning to join us for Christmas Eve service online? Well, then on Sunday, December 20th, from 12 to 1 p.m., we invite you to drive through the alley, receive Christmas greetings from some of the Brookside staff, and pick up a gift to help make your Christmas Eve service celebration at home special and memorable. Please register for your bag online. Our scripture reading for today is from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3. This is found on page 1041 in your pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that one home as a gift from us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Casey. Well, good morning and welcome again to uh, Christ Community. It's really good to see each one of you today, especially if this is your very first time with us or uh, this also might be your first time back uh, with us in the building um, since, uh, you know, everything's been, uh, been crazy. And so whether this is your very first time uh, here with us or your first time back in the space, uh, we're so glad that you're here today and worshiping with us. It's really good uh, to see you and we're so glad that you're here um, well, before we begin, uh, we are, I just want to let you know, we're in a series on heaven. So we, we just wrapped up a series in the book of Revelation and wanted to spend time during Advent specifically focused on, on heaven. What is it that we as Christians are, are waiting for in the new heavens and new earth? And that's what we're, we're focusing on this in this season. Um, season isn't Advent, uh, or the season of Advent, rather, is a season of waiting. So it's a season when we uh, remember uh, the waiting that people had anticipating Jesus coming the first time, as well as, so we remember that waiting, as well as remembering that we're in a season of waiting for Jesus to return and to make all things new. So 
we are looking at what is going to happen when Jesus returns and makes all things new. What is awaiting us in heaven? So that's where we're at this morning. Again, if you're newer with us, just to kind of give you a sense uh, of what we're doing, what we're studying here in the sense of, uh, of uh, Advent. So before we dive into our message for this morning, I'd like to pray, and then we'll do that. So let's pray together. Oh God, our Father, we thank you for your servant John who like a burning lamp and faithful to his calling announced the advent of our Lord and people rejoiced for a while in his light for he was just a witness to the greater light of your son Jesus Christ, the light of the world. May we too, through the enabling of your son Jesus, be like lights in a dark world to lead people into the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord, the light of the world. Amen. Well, I don't know about uh, at your house, but certainly here at uh, the Brookside Campus building and in our home, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. The, the lights are up, the tree is up, and uh, the decorations, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hopefully put up Christmas lights on the outside of our house today. I've never, actually never done that before, so if I'm not here next week, it's probably because I fell off the ladder and broke my leg or something. Um, but it's beginning to look a lot like right Christmas, and when the Christmas season comes around, I start thinking about Christmas, and I've got uh, three kids who are starting to put together shopping lists for my mind always turns to Legos, because when I was a kid, uh, Christmas meant Legos. I mean, it was just, that was what I wanted for every Christmas, for every birthday, uh, was Legos, Legos, and then uh, if they were out of Legos, just a few more Legos. Um, that was all I wanted. Uh, as every, you know, my sisters and I would, would gather and, and build and put together these sets, and I, you know, I was thinking this week, what are, about is it Legos that makes them so fun? Why do we keep going back to them? Because you know, Legos have been around for a long time, a lot you know, video games, computer games, all kinds of things have come out, and yet Legos are still so popular. People love Legos. Well, a former CEO of the Lego company captured it this way, and I think, I think he's honest on this. He says, people love to make things, and it's deep in every human being. And I want to suggest that that deeply ingrained human love to make things comes from the fact that we are made in the image of a wonderfully and inexhaustively creative God. And when that creative God brings us to live life with him forever, it's not going to be in a disembodied, ethereal existence floating in the crowds. We will not have a sort of Gary Larson far side existence where we're going to be sitting in the cloud wishing we'd brought a magazine. Now, God's plan is not to destroy all matter and take us away to a disembodied heaven and earth. Now, his plan is to bring heaven and earth together. In fact, this is what Jesus teaches us to pray for in the, sermon on, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Lord's Prayer. We pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What? On earth as it is in heaven. God's plan from the very beginning has always been to unite heaven, God's space, and earth, human space, together in one. So where is heaven going to be? Where is the place of heaven? That's what we want to talk about this morning, and the Bible's answer to that question may surprise you, especially if your imagination has been largely shaped by sort of popular culture um, frameworks of, of how to think about heaven. That God is going to bring heaven to earth. Heaven is coming to earth. The place of heaven is going to be on a renewed heaven and the renewed earth. 
God is going to remake a renewed heaven and a renewed earth, and they're going to be joined together as one. So uh, let's think about Legos again. Just as, as when I was a kid and I had Legos, you get that set for Christmas, and you play it, you build it according to the directions, and then after a while, you know, it gets sort of integrated into the rest of the, the Lego universe that you had, and you take it apart, and you build something new. When I would do that work of, of taking apart that Lego set, and building something new from it. I didn't take those old Legos and then just sort of, you know, put them on the stove in a pot and melt them and destroy them. No, I took those good existing Legos and reconfigured them into something new, something better. But they were still Legos. Yes, transformed into something different, maybe even something more complex, something more beautiful. But they didn't stop being Legos. Now, for many of us, even if we've been Christians for as long as we can remember, this may come as a surprise. And it may, again, make us a little uneasy because we have been more uh, shaped by in, you know, contemporary sort of understandings or depictions in classic literature of what heaven's like, or even sort of going back further, the sort of a Greek philosophical tradition that says that matter, the material world, that our bodies are inherently bad— and that the spiritual or the immaterial is inherently good. And, and if you are following that kind of way of thinking, of course it makes sense that you would have heaven be a disembodied and immaterial place, because if matter and bodies are lesser or bad, and heaven is the place where all good things are and no bad things are, then you're not going to have bodies and matter in heaven if they are lesser or that they are bad. But what if it isn't actually at all what the Bible teaches, <laughs> that bodies are bad? that matter is lesser. And this morning, I want to look at two different passages, and I want to show you that the Bible's view of heaven is very different than what we often think. And so, let's dive in, and as we do, we're going to see sort of three observations, three categories this morning um, that will help us get a, a better picture of the vision of heaven that the Bible actually teaches. And so, the first is that heaven will be more familiar than we realize. So heaven will actually be more familiar than we realize. And there, there are many passages in the Bible that point to this if we have eyes to see them. But one of the clearest is the one we just looked at um, actually two weeks ago in our Revelation series. It was the passage we heard read for us earlier uh, that Casey read for us. And notice, and I'm going I'm to read the first part of it again here, but notice the movement, the direction in the text. It's not upward, but downward. It's not us going up to heaven, but rather heaven coming down to earth. So this is, again, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. If you uh, have your, your Bible uh, turned on your phone, or if you want to open up one of the paper copies there in front of you, I'd encourage you to turn here uh, and look at this. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So heaven is a city that's established on a renewed physical earth, not an ethereal realm in the clouds. Heaven is, is coming down. The new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven, uniting the two in this new heavens, in this new earth. Now, this may shock or surprise you. At least it did me when I first started really digging into what the Bible taught about heaven. I don't know that as a kid, I mean, I grew up in church, I don't know that anyone sat me down and said, now what the Bible teaches about heaven is that 
matter and bodies are bad and that heaven is going to be just angels floating in the clouds forever and kind of this never-ending church service. I don't know if anyone said those words to me, but somehow along the way I picked up that that's what heaven was. I, I wouldn't have a body. I'd be more like an angel uh, and there certainly wouldn't be anything very familiar and it would kind of just be the, the far side depiction of heaven. And, and if that's the view that you have, it makes sense that, you know, if we're honest, some of us are like, I just... I, I, I trust that heaven's going to be better than earth, but I kind of don't have an imagination for it. I don't get that excited about it. But heaven is actually going to be a lot more familiar to you. It wasn't until I was in, in graduate school and seminary, really digging into the, the biblical story kind of from beginning to end, that I began to have a sense of, of oh, wow. God's not just going to do away with matter. He's going to redeem it. He's going to renew it. But he, he's going to remake a physical heavens and physical earth. Um, another key moment for me in that journey was reading the, the book by N.T. Wright called Surprised by Hope, which is just a wonderful uh, unpacking of how Jesus' resurrection uh, shapes how we think not only about Jesus being alive today in a body, but what God's plan for the whole of reality is going to be. So our hope is not that we are going to one day become angels floating in the ether, but rather the truth that the Bible affirms from beginning to end is that God's plan has always been to dwell with his people, to unite heaven and earth together. For God's space, which is heaven, the way, when the Bible talks about heaven, it's a way of talking about where God's will gets done, it's his space, and earth is human space. It's the idea that one day those two things are going to become one. And why do we tend to miss this? I think it's because we often largely ignore in our Bible reading and our Bible thinking chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis and chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation, that those bookend chapters at the very beginning of the Bible and the very end, that they both picture a good world made by God that is physical and real. But we often don't realize or read the rest of the story in between those two bookends with them in mind. And I just encourage you this week, those are not long chapters of the Bible. Uh, they're not so easy to understand, but they're not long chapters. To read Revelation 21 and 22, read Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and actually you'll see how much overlap, how much continuity. Certainly things are different, but how much similarities are between those opening two chapters and closing two chapters of the Bible. So God made a good material world, and he's going to bring that good material world to completion, not destruction, in the new creation, in the new heavens and the earth. Take a look at this clip from the Bible Project. Um, it's a video on the, their heaven and earth theme, and I think it'll help us get kind of a visual picture of this. What happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus? Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. Be with you. And if you want to take a look at that video at some point in its fullness, that's just a short clip, but you just Google Bible Project Heaven and Earth, and it's a great, it traces that theme of heaven and earth from 
Genesis all the way through to Revelation. But the idea that, that the body and matter are bad and that the mind and the immaterial are good, that is not that's not a Christian idea. That's not a, a Hebrew-Israelite uh, idea. That is a, a Greek pagan philosophical idea. And, and the Bible will have nothing to do with it. God made every material thing from starfish to supernovas, from fingernails to goldfinches, and he called them good. They were and are not a mistake. They're not lesser. They're not something that's just to be discarded. Uh, They are caught up in the bondage to decay because of sin in the world, but that's not because matter is bad. That's because sin has come in and and polluted it and corrupted it, yes, but it's not because it was made bad. It It was good and is good. And all this means that heaven will be far more familiar than we realize. Yes, there will be differences, but it will be much more familiar, I think, than we often realize. Again, back to to Legos for a minute, right? The difference between our current heavens and earth and the new heavens and the earth is a bit like, this is a stretch, right? But just trying to help get our minds around it. It's a bit like the difference between Duplos and, and regular Legos. So in, in our house right now, because of age of our kids, we have both Duplos and Legos in our house. And Duplos are cool. I mean, you can build some cool stuff with the Duplos. But with regular Legos, you can build so much more complex and, and intricate things. And so this, this is kind of our, our current heavens and earth. You know, it's Star Wars, Duplo, you got Yoda and Luke there. I mean, that's pretty cool. Then this is the new heavens and the new earth. I mean, that's way better though, right? I mean, the complexity, the detail, right, of, of what you can do. But they're both still Legos, right? Clearly recognizable as Legos. Same basic shape, same materials, but one is far more amazing and complex, And what happens in this completion is not that you're doing away with the old because it was, it was bad and corrupt. It's just that they're being transformed into something new with newer capabilities. To use a, sort of a, a, a musical metaphor, they're being transposed into a higher key. But the same continuity is there. And again, this is not because, again, that the first heavens verses were bad, but because they've finally been set free and perfected and brought to what they were meant to be. Now, again, if this is your sort of first time wrestling, maybe you just haven't thought that much about heaven or the biblical view of heaven, or maybe you've been around church and you just have, I've just never heard heaven taught in this way. There's probably lots of questions that are coming up for you. And the next two observations, hopefully you can address some of those. Um, we're going to be way more than we can get to, certainly in this one message. So we're doing a whole series on heaven. But before we move on to try to address some of those other questions, I just want to pause here and point out one massive implication of this. And that is that if God is bringing heaven to earth, that he's not just going to destroy all matter, and we're not just going to float on clouds some other dimension. That our work really matters here and now. In writing to the local church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul, who was a church planner and a follower of Jesus, devotes an entire chapter to the truth of Jesus' bodily resurrection and its vast implications for every part of life. And we're actually going to look briefly at 1 Corinthians 15 in our next main point here, but I've always found it fascinating how Paul concludes that chapter. He points out the importance of doing our work well now. So what is Paul's big takeaway from the fact that Jesus has been raised from the body deadly, or the body deadly, the the dead bodily, uh, that Jesus has been raised from the dead with a body, that we will be raised from the dead with a body. Where does Paul say, okay, he doesn't go, so just don't worry about the earth here and now, just hold on until you get your new body. No, this is what he says. 
1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And Paul isn't there just talking about doing evangelism or church planning. He's all of the work that we do. Whether in teaching or architecture, raising children, caring for our homes, making food, meals, doing yard work. Whatever it is that you fill your days with, your work, your labor really matters, and it's not in vain, because God is actually going to take what that work, the, the, the work that was done in the Spirit by His empowerment and by His ability, and in some way, He says that this is going to last and endure beyond this present heaven and present earth. One of the greatest indications that we have a hopeful anticipation of the new heaven and new earth is the diligence we exhibit in our work, in our Monday vocations, whether they're paid or unpaid. Your work now matters maybe more than you realize. So the first truth is that earth will be, or the, you know, heaven is going to be more familiar than we realize. The second is this, that heaven will also be, it will be more earthy than I think we expect. Heaven will be more earthy than we expect. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by more earthy? I mean that the new heavens, the new earth, and I'm just kind of emphasizing again that it will be physical, and we will have physical human bodies, and we live on a physical material earth. They will be transformed bodies. They will be resurrected bodies, but we will still have bodies. Our, our destination, our great hope in God's design is not that someday we become ghosts or that we... Um, become angels, or that we just have a spiritual existence only, an immaterial existence only, but we will be humans, and humans have bodies. I mean, going back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God creates Adam and Eve, he creates man, human, out of the dirt of the ground with a physical body, and he calls it very good. And it isn't as though, okay, this is just good for now, but eventually you can get rid of that body and then you can float around like a spirit and that's better. No, God made, to be a human is to have a body. And look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 about this. And the the text I'm going to read for you here is a little bit longer because I just wanted to kind of get the flow of of Paul's thought. There's a lot in 1 Corinthians 15. It's a long chapter. It's a dense chapter. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this section here I want you to just soak in it. And as we read it, just know Paul is addressing here people who in Corinth are kind of scoffing at the idea of resurrection, of bodily resurrection in particular, that you could actually be raised from the dead and have a new body, which is interesting because even 2,000 years ago, the idea that we might be raised from the dead with a physical body was not something that was immediately accepted. This has always been a, a challenge to the Christian faith. People say, how could this be? So Paul's pushing back against that idea. Verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15, he's addressing those people who think bodily resurrection is not only implausible, but laughable, and is mocking the church for this. He says, but some will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? And Paul, you know, gets a little worked up here. He says, you fool! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body, and not all flesh is the same flesh. So let me just pause right there. So Paul's point is saying, look around, you and, you know, we're a little more distant maybe from the agricultural world, though some of us maybe did some COVID gardening in our backyard. But he's saying, look, you see this every day, all the time. You plant seeds in the ground, and the seed doesn't just disappear it's actually 
transformed into a plant. But it doesn't just go away. And he says the heavenly bodies, and there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from the earthly ones. Now, when he's using the language of heaven and earth, he's, he's using the land and the sky here, really. Not, sometimes we think, again, heavenly, heavenly as immaterial, but he's saying, it's clear in verse 41, the splendor of the sun, the moon, and the stars, those are up in the heavens, up in the sky, have one type of glory. One star differs from another in splendor, and so it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown, and this is, he's, Paul's saying, this is, there's going to be a continuity and discontinuity with our bodies. So it is with the resurrection of dead humans, <laughs> Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam, that's referring to Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. So just like the seed, it's sown... And then it raises to a, you know, a plant, a tree, a sunflower, whatever it is. But there's still continuity. It's difference, but continuity. And Paul's point to the skeptics is this. You've forgotten. You see this kind of transformation all the time. You are out there planting seeds all day long. You see this taking place. But it's become so familiar to you. You've forgotten to marvel that a tiny seed can grow into a massive thing that is, yes, it's still the same kind of seed it was when it was planted, but it's grown into the fullness of its potential and what it is. You plant the seed in the ground, and it becomes a plant. It's transformed not from a plant to an animal, but from a plant, from a seed to a plant. There's both continuity and discontinuity. So take, for example, the giant sequoia tree. Um, it's the, the largest tree uh, in, on earth. The, the redwood trees are taller, but the sequoias are just massive. They're by mass, they're the largest trees on earth. And they start off as a tiny seed, right? Look, that's a sequoia seed. Just tiny, tiny, tiny. But then they become this. They grow into this massive thing. And I wish those were my kids. They're not my kids. I just found that picture on the internet. But someday, I'm going to take my kids to hug the sequoias. Um, they grow into this massive tree that you can't even begin to get your arms around. But again, that seed, it didn't stop. Become, a dog didn't grow out of the ground, right? A, a tree grew out of the ground. So there's continuity, but also massive discontinuity. Now, you might be thinking, though, Bill, isn't this the passage, though, that says we're going to give up our material bodies and receive an immaterial spiritual bodies? I mean, didn't you just read <laughs> that it said we're going to have a spiritual body, not a natural body? And at first, it, and again, in our English translation, it, it looks like that could be what Paul is saying, but trans translators, they struggle with how to make this clear, because the adjectives there translated natural and spiritual are not describing what the body is made out of. It's not the same that the material that the body is made of, but rather what is powering the body, what gives it its, its life, its vitality. So think of it like, uh, maybe think of it like ships. So if you had, Paul was describing not bodies, but types of sailing vessels. He's not saying one of these is made out of wood and one of these is made out of steel. Rather, he's talking about what kind of engine powers, what kind of mechanism powers the ships. Paul's not saying we're going to go from material ships to ghost ships. So, you know, you watch the Pirates of the Caribbean, you have the ghost ship problem. That's not what's happening. Rather, he's saying we're moving from a wind-powered sailing ship. That's the natural body to sort of a diesel-electric-powered cruise ship. We're, we're still a ship. <laughs> we're still made out of matter. But what powers us it's going to be different. It's going to be incorruptible. We're not going to be able to die. We're not going to get sick. Our bodies aren't going to break anymore. 
There's a new life source, a new power source. Now, you still might be thinking, but Bill, you, you conveniently stopped reading at verse 45, and I have my Bible open here, and while you were showing all those pictures, I, I kept reading, and I got to verse 50. And Paul says there in verse 50, clearly, that flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. So, so surely doesn't that mean no more matter? I mean, isn't that what, what Paul's saying? But again, no, Paul isn't making the case that there's not going to be any more material, no more matter, just no more current matter that is subject to death and decay. You are human. You need a body. But you can't bring your old, decaying, broken body into a renewed heavens and renewed earth. You need a renewed body, like Jesus' resurrection body, that will be fitted for that everlasting existence in a new heavens and a new earth that will be more real, more tangible, not less than the one we currently live in. Again, again, think about it in terms of, of Legos again. I know I keep going back here, but I, I think it's helpful. Hopefully it's helpful. The, yeah, again, like I mentioned, we have both Duplos and Legos, regular Legos in our house right now. And if I want to sit down and, and, and build something together with the kids, we kind of have to choose. Are we using the Duplos or the regular Legos? Because they're not compatible, right? They're both Legos, but you can't mix and match them because they're different sizes, they're different shapes, they're the connectors. And so think about it like this. If you are a Duplo, which we kind of all are in this analogy, and you want to be a part of a, of a regular Lego world, you have to undergo a transformation. But in the transformation, you don't stop being a Lego. You become a different kind of Lego with, with greater capacities, greater complexities, with, with more abilities but you're still a Lego. You're still made out of material, out of matter. And this means that our bodies matter, both now and forever. Because Jesus was raised bodily from the dead, so will you one day be raised bodily from the dead. Because Jesus has a body, heaven will be physical. Friends, we're going to talk more about this in future sermons, but Jesus has a physical body in heaven now. He didn't sort of take off his body and hang it up on the, on the shelf when he ascended into heaven. No, Jesus has remained and will remain forever in body. Because Jesus' body matters, so does yours. And far too often we ignore our bodies or we feel ashamed of them. But friends, that is not from Jesus. And yes, of course, in this world that is subject to the bondage of decay, our bodies don't work like they're supposed to. They hurt and they break down and they get sick and they're sore and we don't always like the way they look or how they function. But it is the enemy who hates bodies. Jesus loves your body. I don't know if we often think about that. When we say, Jesus loves me, do you think about that Jesus loves the body that he gave you? He, he doesn't just kind of love like some, your brain, which is a part of your body. He doesn't just love your mind, what you think. He loves you, all of you. And he made it. He designed it. And he loves it. And he's going to redeem it and renew it. He's not going to do away with it. It's Satan who hates bodies. He hates yours and hates mine. He is the enemy who hates matter and the material realm. And he will lie to you all day long and say your body is worthless or it's ugly or it's not worthy of care or respect. 
that what you do with it, who you sleep with, what you eat, what you drink, whether you exercise, whether you don't, it doesn't matter because your body isn't worth anything anyway. Those are lies. God loves your body. He made it. He loves you, and you, part of who you are is your body. And yes, the one that you have right now is decaying, but he is preparing you a renewed resurrection body like Jesus's for you. Because Jesus' resurrection body, it was, it was material. Now, it was a different kind of matter altogether, right? This is a bit of the new heavens and new earth coming forward to us from the future into our current moment when Jesus is raised, raised from the dead. But I mean, people can touch him, they recognize him, they can see him. Um, he eats food, right? He makes breakfast for his disciples on the beach. He roasts fish and eats he has a body. Now, it also has some weird kind of new properties. It seems like he can walk through walls, uh, some other kinds of things. So I'm saying our bodies, it's Duplos and Legos. It's, they're they're going to be different, but they're also going to be recognizable. They're still going to be Legos. Jesus loves your body. He made it, and it matters here and now and for new heavens and new earth. Okay, and finally, and this is our shortest point this morning, heaven will be more glorious than we imagine. Heaven will be more glorious than we imagine because, and we have a whole message, uh, it's actually the, the final message in the series about this, really trying to imagine in depth, what will it be like to live in the new heavens and new earth? Because the Bible gives us some hints, it gives us some clues, but what can we, so we're not going to get into that now, but a point I want to make is that all the images in Revelation and 1 Corinthians are trying to animate our imagination and our hope about what will be but the reality will be better than what we can imagine now. As great as the joys of an embodied heaven will be, they are maximally joyful only when they are enjoyed in God's presence and with God's pleasure. You see, what makes heaven heaven is the presence of the God with whom we will experience mutual joy. Because friends, the best part of the new heavens and new earth is not just that it will be more familiar, more earthy, but that God will be there and that he will be present with you. I don't know if we often think about this, but there is no one who is happier to see you, to spend time with you, than the one who made you. When you wake up in the morning, do you think that God is delighted to see me today? Because he is. And what makes the new heavens and the new earth, what they will be, is that you will enjoy the delight of his face shining upon you forever. And again, I think even that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but think about Christmas morning and opening gifts. And again, I've got, I've got little kids, seven, four, and two. And if our kids on Christmas morning woke up and ran out to the living room, and they, they saw the Christmas tree, all the, all the presents under the tree, and the, and the stockings hanging on the mantle, and all the gifts were there, and maybe even more than they anticipated. And they're so excited to open, and so they, they run to the living room, they see them, and they, they run up to our bedroom to say, Mom and Dad, let's go down and open presents. And they get to the bedroom, they open the door, and they look in our room, and we are not there. And they look all over the house, and they can't find Mom or Dad anywhere kids would freak. I mean, it would not be, they wouldn't just be like, oh, no big deal. I can't find mom or dad. I guess we'll just open these presents and enjoy them forever without them. No, they would, I mean, they would, they would be terrified. 
why are mom and dad not here? And that's what I'm trying to suggest about heaven. <laughs> and sometimes, again, I think we often fall into trap thinking, well, heaven's going to be this place. I'll have my friends, and uh, I'll have the, the, you know, the home on the beach that I always wanted, and I can play golf all day. And, but if we had all those things, all those presents under the tree, but God was not there, his presence would not with us, that would be a place of terror and despair. It would be the exact opposite of heaven. So yes, there's going to be incredible gifts for us to enjoy, but they are only enjoyable because God's presence is there with us, giving them the satisfaction and the delight that come with them. The same is true for heaven. The whole goal, we've been saying this all along, is for heaven and earth to come together to be one, for God to dwell with his people. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, the residence of God is among human beings. He will live among them, and they will be his people, and God will be with him. The whole goal, this is how the Bible ends, with God's space, human space, becoming one. That's the hope of heaven, and it matters. Our hope matters. The Christmas season builds hopeful anticipation. Heaven ought to uh, do that for us every day. Right? Like, like kids sort of shaking the present under the tree to, to try to figure out what it's going to be like, or, or tearing off loops on the Christmas countdown chain, building that anticipation. But that anticipation doesn't take us away from serving and loving and sacrificing here and now. Far from it. Actually, C.S. Lewis wrote that if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set afoot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth. Why? Precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. And then Lewis makes this observation. He says, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. And why is that true? Why is it that if we're actually more saturated in our imaginations with a view of heaven and new heavens and new earth coming, that we do more for this present world. I want to suggest this. I think oftentimes, if you think that this world is either all that there is or the best that there's going to be, then you have to work as hard as you can to get the most out of this life, this moment, to do whatever you can to to save for the nicest retirement, to, to get the nicest house, the nicest car, the, the nicest what, whatever it is. Because, because this is it. This is your one shot to enjoy the good things. But if you have a vision that is truly saturated with the, the, this moment, that this 80, 90 years that we have here on earth is just the beginning, and in some ways will just feel like a, a, a short, bad dream in comparison to all that is coming in an everlasting new heavens, new earth. And you say, oh man, 80, 90 years? And this is, this is going to be the worst of it? Then, and as, I know this is hard, but this is what Lewis's point is. You can make massive sacrifices of your time and your energy and your treasure and your resources and your preferences now because you know that this is not the ultimate hope you have, that there's something much better that's coming. So you don't have to, you can disadvantage yourself now knowing that 50, 100 years from now, all of this, all of this will be just a brief 
dot on the line of eternity. So this Advent season, whenever you see a nativity scene, I want you to remember and glory in this truth that Jesus, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, that Jesus did not come down as a spirit to release us from matter. No, he came as a baby with a human body to redeem us and set matter free from its bondage to decay. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, the embodied earthly promise we are waiting for in the renewed heavens and new earth. 